Welcome to the Gregory Digout Podcast. So let's get back into the teaching, our teaching entitled Sit With Me, The Invitation of a Lifetime. Well, today I want to focus on how you belong. You belong. And I want to share with you how to be free from insecurity, how knowing that you you're seated with Christ will free you from insecurity and that need to belong or feeling like you have to you have to try to belong. We're going to get set free from that. But remember that we started in Ephesians chapter two, verse six. Well, verse five says that Jesus, God made us alive together with Christ while we were dead in our transgressions. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Verse six. And he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, we have to remember uh, where we're seated, you know, in every every other area of life from the time we're little kids the first thing we do is we find where our seat is. When we're little kids in kindergarten, we find out where our seat is at the table uh, in uh, in a family. You find out where your seat is Um, in uh, in any sort of classroom setting. You find out where your seat is. If you go on an airplane, you find out where your seat is. If you go to a concert, you find out where your seat is, a sporting event. The first thing you do is you need to find your seat. How about when you go to the mall? If you go to the mall and you want to find a particular store, but you don't know exactly where it's located. Guess what? The first thing you do, you go to that little information map. And what's the first thing you look for? You look for a little arrow that says you are here. You are here because once you know where you're located, then that becomes the point of reference from which you understand where everything else is and how to get to where you need to go when you know where you are. You got to know where you're located and where are you located? You're seated with him in heavenly places. We need to find our seat in every other area of life. We look for our seat, except when it comes to the kingdom of God. We're like, oh, I don't really. I'm just glad to be in heaven. I'm glad I'm going to heaven. I don't know where my seat is, but you need to know where your seat is because this is the place from which you operate. This is the place from which you look at life. This is the place from which you pray. This is the place from which you deal with um, deal with the crises from uh, from where you're seated. You have to you know how you say sometimes, well, from where you're sitting, if you're in a conversation with somebody and you say, well, from where you're sitting, this is what I would do from your seat. This is what I would do. Well, we need to realize where we're sitting. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And now what does that practically mean? mean? What does that practically mean? Let's go back to chapter one and verse 20 to find out what it means to be seated with Christ in heavenly places, because in Ephesians one, if you go back there, it says God brought this about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him. Look at what he says in verse 20 and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. So where is Jesus Christ seated? At the right hand of God. So God is on the throne and Jesus is seated at his right hand. And and where and what look, what does it look like underneath him? Far above all authority, verse 21 says, far above all authority on all rule and all power and dominion and over every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So in this life, we know in heaven we're above all dominion. We're above all authority. We're above all demons. We're above all our problems. We're above. We know that when we get to heaven, we'll be above all those things. But he doesn't even start out by telling us what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. He tells us what it's like in this age and 
and in the one to come. So he's saying in this life, you are seated above the devil. You are seated above sickness. You're seated above fear. You're seated above depression. You're seated above financial problems. You're seated above whatever the doctor says and names the disease that you have. You're above that. You're above that, not just barely above, but far above. Whoa. Now, see, here's the thing. You can you can walk out of here and say, well, that was really good preaching. And it will be in the name of Jesus. I'm teasing, but the content is good. The delivery needs some work. But here, what we're talking about is vital because you I don't want you walking out of here and say, oh, that was good preaching. I want you walking out of here and say, now I know where I'm seated. Now I know how to operate. Now I know how to pray. Now I know how to live. Now I know how to look at things. Now I know how to look at things. You know, the, 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 the thing about speaking to a mountain to be removed is God's not expecting you to like have this this enormous, huge, big amount of faith to move this massive mountain that's in front of you that you can't even see past. God doesn't look at it that way. And you, you got to stop looking at it that way. You need to look down at the mountain from your seat. Where is your seat with Christ in heavenly places? And where is that far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion and over every name that is named. Now, this is talking about different dimensions of authority. There's authority in the sense of there's demons, there's dominion. There, there are certain forces that have dominion in certain places. There's spiritual, there's emotional, there's physical things that try to have dominion in our lives. And we're seated above all of it. We're seated above all of it and over every name that is named it. Not only he's he's really he's saying he's really actually ends up focusing on in the age to come. But he says not only in this age, like you should realize you have this authority and you're seated now in this age, but also in the age to come. He's almost skipping over the fact he's not skipping over it, but it's almost as if he's assuming that you realize that you have authority in this life. You're going to have authority in the life to come, but you have authority in this life. And most Christians understood that at that time, because Jesus said to Peter, whatever you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth or permit, whatever you allow on earth will be allowed in heaven. In other words, what heaven allows, what you allow, heaven permits what you permit. Heaven forbids what you forbid. In other words, heaven's waiting for your command. Angels are waiting for you to speak. Mountains are waiting for you to tell them what to do. Uh, rattling bones are waiting for you to speak life over them and breath into them. Dead bones in the valley are waiting for somebody to come and speak to those dry bones. Live. God's given you that kind of authority. He's given you that kind of power. And he's put all things in subjection. Verse 22 under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church. So even if we're the feet of Jesus, even if we're the lowest part of the body, even if we're the lowest part of the body, we have authority over everything. Amen. 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 Every demon, no devil has authority over you. Fear doesn't have authority over you. You may allow it to push you around, but you don't have to allow it to push you around. You just need to know you have this position. You're in this position. Boy, this is liberating because in this position, this gives you perspective. Remember, we talked about that last week. It gives you perspective. It causes you to see things 
from the right way is cause you to see things from God's point of view, to see things from heaven's point of view, to see things from a finished work point of view. Jesus, the Bible says that God knows the end from the beginning and he's already written the end story and you're more than a conqueror and you're victorious and you you win in the end. You win. That's how it's written. So you might be in a chapter where you're losing. It's okay. You got to step back and realize from the bigger picture, from the bigger perspective where you see with Christ in heavenly places, you have authority already. You have the victory already. So don't sweat a difficult chapter in your life. Don't sweat a difficult moment in your life. Don't sweat a difficult problem in your life, because the bigger picture is that you're seated with Christ in heavenly places and you're above that thing. See, some of us have been under pressure and under this stress and under our circumstances because we think that's where we belong. But God says, no, you're above it and not beneath it. You're far above it, far above. Look, go back to that verse in verse 21. He says far above. Everybody say far above. Say that I'm far above all rule and all authority and all power and dominion and every name that is named because I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. You see, when you get a hold of this is your position, this is where God puts you. This is where this is the, the place that God has elevated you to be now as a child of God. Then you begin to walk from a different point of view. You begin to have confidence in your life. You begin to experience uh, a sense of peace and a sense of calm because you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Jesus never worried about anything because he knew his place. He he knew where he was seated at the right hand of the father. He knew that he had the authority of God backing him up, the authority of heaven backing him up. And you know what? You have the authority of heaven backing you up. When you have a family member that's sick, you have the authority of heaven to go raise that person up, to go lay hands on the sick and see them recover. When you have a when you have a financial problem, you have the authority to do something about that situation. Boy, it doesn't. It's just you have authority to pray. You have authority to speak to the speak to your bank account. You have authority to go to work and do something about it as well, to get new business and get new clients. You don't have to settle for where you're at. You can begin to approach life from a perspective of a conqueror and more than a conqueror because you've been seated with Christ in heavenly places and you can apply that authority to any area of your life. It doesn't just apply to the couple of examples that I use. It applies to everything. The only thing you don't have authority over is somebody else. Right. You know what I mean? Like in, in certain job situations, maybe you're the boss or somebody else is the boss. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying you don't have the responsibility to control anybody else's life except yours. You don't have the responsibility or the authority to be over somebody else. We're not better than anybody else. We don't have dominion over people. We have dominion over things. We have dominion over our attitudes. We have dominion over our our, our, our fears and our challenges and our and, and our spiritual and emotional enemies, but not people. It's not people that we're trying to exert authority over. It's over things, it's over it's over our mind, it's over our emotions, it's over demons that are trying to lie to us and rob us of the of the goodness of God and rob us of uh, of our understanding of of who we are and where we're seated, where we're located. So as I mentioned the other day, the first thing being seated with Christ means is it gives you great perspective. We're not trying 
to find our seat. We're looking at life from a seated position to be seated means the victory is already won to be seated means it's accomplished. This is talking about a victor's seat. When he says that we're seated with Christ, it was after Jesus defeated sin and defeated the devil. It's the victor's seat. It's the champion's seat. It's the king's seat. Remember in Revelation chapter one, verse five and six, he loved us and he washed us and he made us kings and priests. If you read this in the New King James Bible or the or the um, King James Bible or many of the other translations say this in Revelation chapter one, verse six, he has made us kings and priests to his God. He has made us kings and priests. What is a king sits on the throne? And I'm not trying to say you're supposed to be some selfish, lazy person just sitting around. What I'm saying is this is your royal position as a king and a priest in Christ. Amen. To rule over your life, your emotions, your choices, your attitude. Boy, this is powerful when you get a hold of this. It it's it's it feels safer to say that God's in charge of everything in your life to, to, to default to this. God is in control of everything. It feels safer that way, because then you can explain everything that ever happens in life as well. God must have a bigger picture, must have a bigger reason for making that happen or allowing that to happen. But really, we allow so many things to happen and we blame it on God. And we're not exercising our authority and then we're blaming it on God or we're blaming it on the devil when God's given us authority over the devil. Well, you know, the devil just got the best of me. Well, you don't have to let him get the best of you. The Bible says submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So we don't have to let the devil get the best of us. We have to see what I'm trying to do is equip you as for the last few months, trying to equip you with the right concept of God, really understanding God's nature and now understanding your seat, your position. Sit with me. It's an invitation of a lifetime. We want God wants you to enjoy his fellowship and enjoy this relationship and sit with him. We're going to get into the intimacy. This does mean intimacy also with God. But sitting with Jesus is a place of authority. It's a place of ruling and reigning with Christ. You know, it says in Romans chapter five, verse 17, says we can never read the scripture enough because it really helps us understand the power that we walk in. And it says that through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, well, we'll just read it from the beginning for by the transgression of the one that's Adam, by his transgression, death reigned through Adam, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. They will reign in life. I think the Amplified Bible uses the word they will reign as kings in this life. They will reign as kings in this life through what? Through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. God's grace is his unmerited favor and the gift of righteousness is the gift that Jesus gives us in exchange for our sin. He takes on our sin on the cross and he gives us his righteousness, which means right standing with God and the rights that God gives right standing with God. I mean, right standing with God. You know, I used to think all my life when I first got saved, I used to think that I had to confess anything I ever did wrong 
to stay right with God. Maybe you felt like that. Maybe you believe that today. It's not true. You don't have to confess your sins to stay right with God. You've been made right with God. You're 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 made that so you don't achieve that through confession. You're made that through accepting Jesus Christ, the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. It's a gift. It's not a gift because you confessed enough to get it, because at what point do the things you forgot to confess undermine the things you did confess? Because I forgot more of the sins that I committed than the ones I remembered before I was a Christian and even after. Come on, help me now. There ain't nobody here has got it all together since the day you got saved. We all have fallen and we've all sinned and we've all failed. That's not if we have to if we have to just keep confessing it to stay right with God, this is a terrible, miserable relationship. It's a miserable relationship to have to stay right with God. We don't have to stay right with God. We've been made right with God through the blood of Jesus. And scripture after scripture after scripture proves that having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. We're the righteousness of God. He became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. It's something he made us to be, not something we achieve. It's not something we obtain to attain to or obtain. It's something that he makes us. This is really important because otherwise, if you always think, oh, what did I do wrong? When something goes bad in your life, you'll always point to, well, it's probably because I did that or probably because I said that or it's probably because I didn't do this enough or I didn't do that enough. And that kind of mentality will imprison you to a a bondage, a, a, a abusive, legalistic relationship with God that he doesn't want for you. That he didn't he provided something way better than that, because when you go to pray, you can't be hampered or hamstrung by all of your mistakes. So what's the remedy for that? Jesus has already made you righteous and you have every right to go to God about anything, anytime without reference to your sin, without having to confess your sins again. Well, isn't first John one nine, it says, confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Yes, to the sinner. When you confess and agree with God, the word confess means to agree. When you agree with God, yes, I have not trusted in Jesus. That's the sin that is what needs to be what needs to be forgiven. And that's that happens the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your savior and Lord. And this first chapter of first John really is right, is written to the nonbeliever. And then the rest of the book is written to the believer. John didn't decide. I'm just going to give this letter out to only Christians. It was spread to everybody. This letter was written so anybody could read it. We have a Bible that anybody can read. So some parts of Scripture are written to people that are not saved yet. And some parts of Scripture are written to people that are saved. So this is not a continual confession that has to be made to for the child of God. This is this is when you first get saved. You're admitting that you have sinned. You're admitting that you have not had Jesus as your savior. You're agreeing with God that you have sinned and you're accepting Jesus as the one who forgives you and cleanses you from unrighteousness. Once you do that once, that's it. You're saved. You're a child of God. Now, you can confess your sins if you want to uh, to make yourself feel better. Lord, I just admit that I did that. There's nothing wrong with admitting that you fell short, but God doesn't need you to admit it again in order for you to be forgiven again. You're forgiven once and for all, forever, for all time. 
I know that's hard for me. I know I get a lot of I get a lot of Instagram comments and Facebook comments. This is wrong. How dare you? You're a heretic. You're going to hell. You got to preach repentance. You better get right with God, preacher. You better. And, and I'm like, it's so funny that the people you're always going to get people that put more trust in their own righteousness than the righteousness that comes from God. Paul said. Paul said, if anybody, Paul said in, in Philippians chapter three, if anybody could claim he's righteous in his own works, I, I can. I was a Pharisee. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Jew of the Jews. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he said in, in Philippians chapter three. He said, but I count all of that to be rubbish. In replace of the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Philippians three, eight through ten. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith is so simple. This Christianity we made it so hard. Christians have made it so preachers have made it so hard. Like we got to you got to go through the eye of a needle. You got to just, you know, go through the eye of a needle to enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus was talking about people that put their trust in uh, in, in their riches rather than trusting in Jesus, trusting in God. He was saying that's harder, man. That's hard for a man to enter into heaven when he's trusting himself. It's like go, a camel going through the eye of a needle. A camel can't go through an eye of a needle. And nobody can get into heaven by trusting in themselves. You can only get into heaven by trusting in Jesus. Well, I know we deviated a little bit from where we're going with this today, but somebody maybe needs to hear that. The next thing that the next thing that being seated with Jesus does is it frees you from having to prove you belong. It frees us from having to prove that we belong. We don't have to try to fit in with people. We don't have to try to be popular or be accepted. Uh, we don't have we don't have to try to belong. We do belong because we're already seated. Think about it, folks. Listen, for much of my early Christian years, I was fighting for a seat at the table. I thought you had to you know, work your way and confess your way and repent your way to a seat at the table to get really close to Jesus. You got to go through all these things to get really close to Jesus. But in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, the Bible says he brings us us near to him by the blood of Jesus. We enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. We don't enter the holy place by our holiness. We enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. And therefore we have we can have confidence. So I knew I had I thought I had to earn a seat at the table so that I could be accepted with the popular, the successful. And I realized the whole time I already had a seat at the table. And so do you. You already have a seat at the table. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. I know that that it, I'm repeating myself. And I know that I'm repeating myself. But you need to hear this until it penetrates your soul to where you're no longer asking the questions when you fail. Am I still right with God? What do I have to do to to get back into God's good grace? And it's, that's what makes it good grace. There's nothing you can do to get in it. That's what makes it grace. It's unearned. It's unmerited. 
It's the favor of God. It's the love of God. It's unconditional. You are in. You're, you belong. You're already in. You're, you're already in. And you belong. When I finally saw myself seated with Christ, I knew that I had arrived. You don't arrive when you have enough money or have success or reach a certain age or have been through certain trials. You arrive the moment you accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord. You're at the table. You're at the table. You're at the table. When I finally knew I was at the table, everything I longed for, everything I wanted in my life to belong, the security, it was already mine. We all grow up insecure. I want to talk about that for a moment, because being seated with Christ frees us from insecurity and the comparisons with other people. It frees you from insecurity when you know who you are in Christ, when you know you're seated, when you know where you're seated. Let me explain to you this way. Um, the, the, the word for insecure, it means to be with apprehension. So if you could if you can let me dive into this for a few moments about insecurity, because this is something that plagues so many people's minds and they feel insecure because I don't look good enough. I don't have enough of this. I don't have enough of that compared to this person. I'm not this good. I'm not as good as them. There's always going to be something somebody better than you at something. But what 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 nobody's better at than you is being at your seat. You're seated at the table with Jesus. And so am I. And so is the person next to you. And so we don't have to compete for a seat. It's not musical chairs. We don't have to try to bump the other one out with our butt, you know, so that we can get on that last seat. Um, and that's whoever's got the strongest, you know, wiggle or the strongest hip gets the last seat in musical chairs. But that's not what it's like with God. Everybody has a seat. And it's really important that we allow this seating chart to deliver us from insecurity, because insecurity, it means to be with apprehension. It's to live with apprehension that you're always apprehensive. You're always like gun shy. You're always apprehensive about asking God for something. You're apprehensive about asking somebody on a date. You're apprehensive about, uh, you know, how people feel about you. You're apprehensive about if you've done everything right and you're always apologizing and you're always, you know, you're sorry for living and you're sorry for existing and you're sorry for being in this world. We don't have to be sorry for anything. We don't have to live with apprehension. We don't have to live with this sense of I don't know if I belong in insecurity is that feeling that you don't belong. It's the feeling of being observed, but not approved. And we don't have to live with that insecurity anymore because we are we have a seat at the table. It's not because you're popular. It's not because I'm a preacher or a pastor or on TV. None of that matters to me. None of that gives me a sense of identity. None of that. None of that means a thing. That's just what I do because I believe these things so true. And I believe these things so deeply that I've got to share them with other people. But being on TV or being a preacher, or be on a platform, it doesn't make me feel anything better about myself. What makes me feel good about myself is I'm accepted and I belong to Jesus. I'm his and he is mine. And I don't have a I don't have I don't compare myself to any other human being on this earth. 
I don't care what anybody else has. I have a seat at the table. I don't care how successful somebody else is. I have a seat at the table. I don't measure my I don't measure my success by by numbers or by money or by popularity or by likes on Facebook or Instagram or or by who's listening to what preacher. I don't care. I'm assigned to preach to preach. And whoever listens, whoever comes, let them come. Whoever wants to be blessed by it, let them be blessed by it. But I'm not struggling over it. I'm not striving over it. I'm not worried about it. I know I got a seat at the table and you got to know that about your life. It doesn't matter. Hey, listen, listen, you don't have to have a husband to be secure. You don't have to have a wife to be secure. You don't have to be married. You don't have to have the goal of life is not marriage. The goal in life is is truly to walk in the love of God and to be loved by him and to love others as a result and to have a relationship with him. So many people are just miserable because they think they need something else to make them feel secure because you're comparing to what other people have. But the problem is, is you're comparing yourself at your worst with them at their best. It's so unfair, even comparing you at your best with them at their best. It's it's wrong because it confuses you. The Bible says we we remain ignorant and we live without understanding when we compare ourselves with each other. Because somebody's going to do better than me, but they didn't have the bad start I had. They don't have the they didn't have the demons holding their head together like I did. They might be doing better than me. That's cool. I don't care. It looks like that to people, but that's not how God measures things. I'm at the table. They're at the table. You're at the table. But none of us are at the table because we found our way. None of us are at the table because we earned our way. None of us are at the table because we look so good. None of us are at the table because we dress so nice. None of us are at the table because we have enough money. We're at the table because of the blood of Jesus that brought us near. And this living in apprehension, this living with insecurity, it means to be to, to, to care about what others think of you in order to get your value and your acceptance or worth. It's to to be insecure is to be without a root, without sufficient grounds for confidence. Insecurity starts with the self-conscious awareness that there's a hole or there's a gap. Insecurity, insecurity is this insecurity comes from this gap between where we think God is and where we think we are, where we think God wants us and where we currently are. And when we when we when we're aware of this gap, we get insecure. But God wants us to know there is no gap because we're at the table. There was no gap between Jesus and John at the Last Supper. There was no gap between Jesus and any of the disciples at the Last Supper. They were all at the table. They were all at the table. John only got the closest seat because he knew Jesus loved him. So he didn't feel like Jesus is going to see through me, you know, like he's going to have x-ray vision into my soul and see all the bad attitudes I have and see all the, you know, the bad things I've done. He, He wasn't thinking that way. He knew he was loved. Therefore, he was he was able to approach Jesus and put his head on Jesus bosom. And there was that closeness because he knew Jesus loved him. And John was no different than you or me. Jesus loves you as much as he loved John. 
You just might not know it as much as John knew it. But I want you to know it as much as John knew it. That's why John gave us the, the letter, the chapter four of first John to know the love of God so that each of us could know his love as much as he knew his love. And but this insecurity, it, it, it makes you withdraw from relationships. It makes you uh, when you feel threatened, you feel like you have to attack somebody to protect yourself. Um, insecurity uh, leads you to let the wrong people into your life and influence your life. Insecurity leads you to to become defensive. You're always on the defense. You're you're, you're always when somebody critiques you or points out or criticizes you about something, you take it so personally rather than just, hey, nobody's perfect. We're going to be criticized. We're going to be critiqued. Some critique is really good. Critique is actually really good for you. But if you're insecure, you'll take it as rejection. You'll take it as somebody's correcting you. So you think, oh, well, they don't accept me or they you know, I'm, I crumble at somebody's correction. I crumble at somebody's criticism because I feel insecure. That's why people are so weak emotionally, because they're so insecure. And the insecurity comes from the lack of confidence, not being confident in your right standing with God, not being confident in, in the fact that you have a seat at the table. And from that position, like nobody, anybody can criticize me of anything. And I'll say, you, you're probably right. But here's where you're wrong. I'm way worse than you realize. <laughs> I got way more wrong things with me than what you've noticed. But then you get to the place where you learn that people are more concerned about what they're dealing with than what you're dealing with. They're really not thinking about you that much, you know. That's a rude awakening to a lot of us because we think, you know, we're we're the sun and the world revolves around us or rotates around us. And we're not we're 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 people. We're children of God. We're sons and daughters of God. But we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. And therefore, we don't have to be insecure. We have a we have a seat at the table. I want to show you uh, what I mean by this. If you go over to first Samuel, chapter nine. Because insecurity grows out of the feeling of of feeling unaccepted. Let me just break it down for you. Insecurity grows from that sense of being unaccepted. Insecurity comes from broken homes, abusive relationships, relationship scars. Insecurity comes from a, a poor body image. If you you look at yourself and you feel a, sh a sense of shame and self-consciousness, um, insecurity comes from feeling overshadowed by others. Inse insecurity comes from a, a significant failure or loss. Insecurity comes from comparing yourself to other people. I, I have a whole list of where insecurity comes from. I did a whole series on being healed from insecurity. You should find that if you can and, 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 and obtain that series, it'll really encourage you. But but what I want you to see here is God already knows what you're going to be up against in life. So he prepares you in advance, like what you're hearing right now that you have a seat at the table. You're really going to need this maybe a week from now, maybe a month from now, maybe five years from now. But you're going to remember that you have a seat at the table when that opportunity to go back to your insecurity comes in your life, you're going to remember, wait, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, I'm not going back into that emotional cave. I'm not going back into that nosedive emotionally. I'm not going to go back into that lack of self-esteem and lack of self-worth and lack of confidence. No, 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 no. I have a seat at the table. 
My weaknesses don't disqualify me. My mistakes don't disqualify me. I have a seat at the table. God knows everything about me and he knew everything that was going to happen in my life. And he still called me and he knew everything I was going to do. And he still picked me and he knew everything I was going to go through. And he still said he loves me and he knew everything I was going to go through. And he still said I'm on his side. He's on my side. He, I, he knew what I was going to do. He knew how I was going to fail. He knew mistakes I was going to make. But he still said I began a good work in you and I'll finish it until the day that you that I return for you. He is finishing what he started in your life. Be confident you're at the table. Everything's going to be all right. So Saul, Saul is, a, is about to be anointed as the first king of Israel here in first Samuel chapter nine. And here in this passage, look here in verse 19 with me, he says, so Samuel's the prophet and Samuel's going to anoint Saul to be king. But before he does, he wants Saul to understand some things. And I want you to understand this. Saul, Saul was looking for the prophet, the seer. And he said, where do you know where the seer is? And Saul, Samuel said, I am the seer. Verse 19. Go before me to the high place. You shall eat with me today. And tomorrow I'll let you go. and We'll tell you all that is in your heart. I'm going to tell you what God's going to do in your life. And as for your donkeys, they were lost three days ago. But don't put your mind on that anymore. They've been found. Everything's going to be all right. Verse 21. And Saul said, wait a minute. Saul said, I'm just a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes. My family is the least of all the families in the smallest of the tribes. I'm the least in my family. He's like, how can you be talking to me about doing something great and becoming king when I'm so small and insecure and I feel inferior? But Samuel said, took Saul to his servant and brought him into the parlor and made him sit, made them sit. Samuel made Saul sit at the table, at the head where they were invited. I want you to see this parallel that Samuel represents God. Saul represents us. And Samuel made Saul sit. God has made us to sit with him. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion that I told you to set aside, set it. I told you, remember earlier I said, set it aside. Now, this is God. Connect this to your life. This is God saying to you, I have already set aside a portion for you. Before you needed it, I set it aside. And then the cook took the leg and took the, the, the portion set aside. And he said it before Saul and Samuel said, here is what has been reserved, set before you and eat because it has been kept for you until the appointed time. God has reserved a seat for you. He has made you to sit at the table and he's reserved a portion for you that you're going to need for an appointed time. And you know now in chapter nine of first Samuel, you need to know now that you have a seat at the table, you have a portion reserved for you, and it's been set aside by God for you. Why? Because there is going to come a trial and there's going to come a test and somebody else is going to show up in your life and you're going to think that you're going to lose your place because they're going to take your place. But you need to know you have a seat. You have a portion reserved for you and it's been set aside 
for an appointed time. Fast forward nine chapters later and we'll close with this. We come to first Samuel, chapter 18 after. Now, Saul is king, but David has just defeated Goliath. And in first Samuel, chapter 18, verse five, it says that David would go out wherever Saul sent him because David worked for Saul. But David prospered and Saul set him over the men of war. So he was ahead of the army and he was it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and in the sight of Saul's servants. But it happened as they were coming when David returned from killing Goliath, the Philistine, that the women came out singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines. Now, Saul's got to feel pretty good. They all coming to sing about him. And the women, the women sang in verse seven. Look at what it says. And the women sang verse seven. And they said, Saul has slain his thousands. Now, now Saul's really encouraged now because they're singing about him slaying thousands until the next verse of the song as they kept singing the song. But David has slain ten thousands in one moment, in one instant. Saul is now faced with a choice. He can remember that there's a table and he sat at it and he has a seat at it and a portion reserved for him that was kept until the appointed time. He can remember that or he can compare himself to David because, frankly, killing thousands, if, if you're a military leader against, I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, we're not about killing, but you get the come on. You've accomplished much. God's used you. You want the next generation to be able to do more than you. We should want the next David to come along and do 10 times better than us. I want my kids to do 10 times better than me. I want that for them. Every every parent does. I want our team, even if they're not my kids, I want our whole team to do 10 times better than me. I want to see all these guys and all these ladies, all of them accomplish great things. I want them to become great impact players, leaders, influencers, people that change the world. I want you to become all of that. Like, I want you to succeed. I want you millionaires to become billionaires. You say, hey, who's a billionaire here? Look, I want you thousandaires to become millionaires, you millionaires to become billionaires. Look, there's nothing wrong with us being promoted. You guys that run a little business to grow your business. I want you to succeed. I want you to have the best. I want you to. But I just don't go use your boat on Sunday. Just get to church after you get blessed with all this stuff. Use your boat on Saturday. <laughs> what happened when they said Saul has slain his thousands? Saul's like, yeah. But then the next line, but David is tens of thousands. Ah, what? They're singing about David. And Saul became very angry. For this saying displeased him, and he said they have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they've only ascribed thousands. Now, what more can he have but my seat, the kingdom? He's he's coming after me. Wait, Saul, remember Samuel already showed you your seat. Samuel already made you sit. Samuel already told you a portion was reserved for you. Samuel already told you that it's been set aside. Samuel already told you it's for an appointed time. You know what appointed time it's for this moment right here. When you start comparing yourself to somebody else, you need to remember 
what God set aside for this appointed moment, for this appointed time, because you need to pass this test and not go back to the insecurity and not go back to that feeling of inferiority and not go back to that feeling of not belonging and that not going back to feeling like you have to perform more, you have to achieve more, you have to win more in order to be uh, sang about better. You don't need a song sung about you. We're here to sing about Jesus. It doesn't matter how many souls you saved and how many souls I saved and how many lives. We're all in it together. If you can win more people than me, praise God. If you can get more people born again than I can. Hallelujah. If you can reach more people, if you can preach better than me, go for it. I'm moving over, man. I could take a break. I could use a vacation. I'm telling you right now, I don't care. I want everybody to succeed. I want you to have more money. I want you to have more success. I want you to have more power. I want you to go into hospitals and pray for the sick. I want you to go and be used by God. And but let's but let's do it together because we can accomplish so much more together when we're not comparing ourselves and trying to cover up our insecurities with fig leaves. Instead, we should be like rejoicing and celebrating and realizing everybody has a place at the table. Everybody has a portion reserved for them. Everybody has a seat. Everything's going to be all right. Celebrate. But what happened is Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Why? Because he forgot the most important thing that most of us forget. We already have a seat at the table. We're already seated with Christ in heavenly places. We rule over dominion. We rule over insecurity. There is no gap between us and God. Jesus closed the gap and ever liveth to make intercession for us or to be the to continually be the bridge that keeps us from ever being separated from God and from love ever again. We'll never be separated. That will heal you of all the insecurity. You have a seat at the table that'll heal you from all insecurity. It'll heal you from suspicion. Worrying about what somebody else thinks or what other people are doing or comparing yourself. You have a seat at the table. You have a portion reserved for you. It's been set aside for an appointed time and there is coming a moment in your life you're going to need to reference what you just heard today. That moment may be later today. That moment may be tomorrow. That moment may be a week from now, maybe a year from now. But you're going to know that that was your appointed time to remember this moment where you heard you have a seat at the table. A portion is reserved for you and you don't have to be insecure when your moment comes. Just trust God and trust that you're there and that you're not striving to get there. You're there at the table. Seated with him. It swallows up all inferiority. It swallows up all insecurity. Let's stand together. Say this out loud, say in the name of Jesus, I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. I have a seat at the table. It delivers me from insecurity and trying to prove that I belong. I belong because of what Jesus did by his blood. I'm accepted. I belong. I have my seat. It's with Jesus and no one can separate me from God and from my seat ever again in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's thank God. Love you guys. 
Well, thanks so much for listening. If this podcast has encouraged or inspired you in any way, I would love for you to share it with a friend, a family member, or someone you know who would benefit from these messages. And make sure to subscribe if you haven't already so you never have to miss an episode. And I'd like to keep helping you cultivate your worth and fulfill God's purpose for your life. That's why this podcast exists. We're in this together. One can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight, and your best is right ahead. God bless.